Hi there. My name is Todd Martin from Smithville Mennonite Church, and I just want you to know it's great to be with you again. No matter where you are, I believe God has brought us together right now for a divine appointment to hear His Word. So let me pray and get out of the way. Lord Jesus, as always, let there be more of you and less of me. In your name I pray, amen. Well, today I'm going to finish up our series on the real Lord's Prayer, a prayer Jesus actually prayed for himself, for his disciples, and now we find even for you and me. I marvel at the fact that Jesus knew this was not the end of the good news, though he was just hours or perhaps minutes from the beginning of his arrest, trial, and eventual execution. We often talk about praying in faith, believing before seeing, but here is where we listen to the words of our Savior, defying the darkness of the moment, and instead praying into the future with hope. Friend, don't we need a little more hope today, too? I wonder, what are you facing right now? Is there uncertainty? Is there fear? Perhaps a sense of failure? What if you could pray into that with a spirit of hope? The other thing about this section I alluded to before is just the beauty of knowing Jesus prayed for us. Holding these two concepts together forms your sermon in six seconds. If you've got a really short attention span, you can just take this, and this is your sermon in six seconds, and it even rhymes. Jesus prayed for you and me with a bold hope for eternity. Jesus prayed for you and me with a bold hope for eternity. Now, last week, he prayed for his disciples, and we can draw on that prayer as we apply it to us, who are also disciples, and that's cool. But here, we have Jesus actually praying for us, future believers that were 2,000 years from even being born. This is a prayer that transcends time. Open your Bibles once more to John chapter 17, verse 20. Again, I'm in the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, chapter 17, and we will begin in verse 20. It'd be really great if you could go grab your Bible so that we can read the Word of God together. Now, this is a prayer that is powerful. And again, I would invite you to imagine you are in the upper room. The lights are low. And you are listening to Jesus pray. Jesus is a man that you've seen walk on water, feed thousands, and raise the dead. And now he's praying. Perhaps, after a pause, it seems that he is ready to conclude his prayer. And he does, by praying for you and me right now. Again, I'm in John chapter 17. I hope you've got your Bible open because here we go. Verse 20. These are the very words of Jesus. My prayer 
is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verses 21 and 22, your subpoint is this. We are the miraculous answer to this prayer. Again, we are the miraculous answer to this prayer. Your application or challenge question is simply this. How does it feel to know that Jesus prayed for us 2,000 years early? How does it feel to know that Jesus prayed for us 2,000 years early? Verse 20. I'm sorry, that, that was uh, verses 20 and 21 subpoint. Verse 20. Jesus blows the roof off of the upper room with this prayer. All over the world, for all of time, till he returns, the message these 11 disciples will take to the world will be believed. And Jesus knew it. I know sometimes it's easy to think, is all this Jesus stuff really real? Is Jesus valid? How do we know it's not just made up? How do we know there's really a God? Oh, friends, you need to know, I've been to the Holy Land a few times and I've even went to where they believe is the upper room. And I've stood there thinking, how on earth did the message of Jesus ever get halfway around the world from Jerusalem, Israel, to Smithville, Ohio? Can I just say it's a miracle that sprang from this prayer over two millennia ago. There is no other reason than God did something. He lit a beacon in the night that is still burning bright. From that upper room where Jesus prayed, his prayer is still being answered here today. Ah, but how? Look at verse 21. Oneness. Now, friends, there is a mystery here that is beyond my imagining. God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, sustainer of all life, was in Jesus, and Jesus was in him. And just when I realized I don't even fully comprehend that, Jesus says, in effect, that's for us too. We are to have the same level of unity with he and the Father as he has with the Father. Wow. That just blows my mind. So what can we get from this? Friends, Jesus doesn't take unity lightly. He doesn't take intimacy lightly. There is no halfway. There is no partial commitment mentality here. You can't sit on the fence with Jesus. Either he is in you or he is not. In fact, he points to this indwelling as how the world will believe God sent him. I'm going to continue reading again in the Gospel of John chapter 17, but I'm picking up in verses 22 and 23. These are the words of Jesus. 
I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. You know, when I preach this in front of my congregation, I'm just taking a textual time out here. I had them repeat that back to me because that's a powerful phrase. That first part of verse 23, I in them and you in me. I'd like you to repeat that back to me. I in them and you in me. I'm going to continue the reading. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Verses 22 and 23 subpoint. God's glory is shown through unity and love. Your application question is, how does it feel to know that we have all that? What is that? God's glory, unity, and love. All right, first off, what is all this glory about that we see in verse 22? What glory have we received? This is possibly one of the greatest losses the theory of evolution has stolen from us. If we are nothing but mature monkeys that started out in a primordial swamp that formed from a random big bang that I, as a person, in the end, am just a cosmic accident with no purpose, there is no glory in that. My goodness, there isn't really even a reason to get out of bed in the morning if that's all we are. But if you and I can trace our history to the first divinely created being made in the image of our very creator, there's glory in that. If we claim a heritage that points to a family who survived a global flood by faith in a loving God, oh, there's glory in that. If we can look back and see a young King David facing off a giant with a sling and a stone and winning, guess what? There's glory in that. If you can identify as part of your spiritual heritage, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walking out of the fiery furnace, Daniel walking out of the lion's den, you know what? There's glory in that. But I can't stop there because we didn't even get to the glory that links all the glory to us. If you can say, I know a man who walked on water, raised the dead and fed the hungry, and he's living inside me right now. And after I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I know where I will go into eternal glory with him. Friend, there is glory in that. Can you feel it? I hope you know there's some glory going on around here. But how do we show that glory to the world? In Warren Wiersbe's excellent commentary, he says this, and I quote, One of the things that most impresses the world is the way Christians love each other and live in harmony. It is this witness that our Lord Jesus wants in the world, 
that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Now, friends, here's a part of the commentary that I really liked. Listen to, the, listen to this quote. I love this. The lost world cannot see God, but they can see Christians. And what they see in us is what they will believe about God. That quote is so powerful, I have to read it again from Warren Wearsby. The lost world cannot see God, but they can see Christians. And what they see in us is what they will believe about God. End quote. Let that last line really sink in. What do people believe about God when they see you or when they see me? Or even, even more to the point, what do they believe about God when they see us together? Friends, this last week, I was one of a few church folk who gathered together to help some of our fellow church folk in a really difficult job. And in the midst of it, when we were all pulling together, I thought, ooh, this is church. This is unity. This is love. I'm also aware of a church person who was emotionally hurting terribly. They reached out to another church person, and not only did that person listen, but then said, come over for dinner. Let's talk more and try to find a way forward in your situation. Oh my, this is church. This is unity. This is love. Don't get me wrong. We mess up too. We stumble over each other. We say mean and hurtful things. Yes, we even do that in church. We get mad and we struggle to forgive, but we know that we must. You see, oneness with Christ demands our oneness with each other. Now, I know it's easy to see the conflicts in the church and think, what a mess that is till you look outside the church. We've gotten a pretty clear picture of the world lately, haven't we? Friends, it is chaos and cruelty. Do you know, I believe that the church is the only thing that keeps the world from going completely berserk. I think the church is sort of a, a spiritual ballast for the world so that we don't go uh, topsy-turvy, so we don't, so we don't flip out. I believe part of the reason some places in our country are going wild with violence and destruction is because for three months, most of the churches in our nations were closed. Our churches, flawed as they are, still provide a prayerfully protective covering over our nation. And that cover had been mostly removed. Now, you need to know that I still believe it was a wise choice for us to close for the time that we did. However, I also realized there was a spiritual cost to being closed. One that is still being counted. If you read Revelation, you'll see that once the church is taken from the world near the end of time, the world does go berserk. And I think at times we are seeing a little foreshadowing of this right now. So, what does all this mean? We need to keep loving each other and our neighbors in Jesus' name. 
and with the loving power of his spirit. We must continue to shine the light of love, no matter how dark the world may get. It is only then that the world will see clearly the oneness we have with God and through the oneness that we have with each other. Let's finish up with verses 24 through 26. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Your sub point for verses 24 through 26. Jesus reminds us that heaven is later and he is now. Jesus reminds us that Heaven is later, and he is now. Your application or challenge question is, do you ever think that you can have one without the other? Do you ever think you can have heaven later without him now? That's basically what I'm saying. Oh, these concepts are so huge. Verse 24 is Jesus essentially saying, He wants us to, and indeed will have us come to heaven where he will be. This is where the glory of God will be completely revealed. And then he adds this last phrase, that he was loved by God before the creation of the world. Just think about that. Can you even imagine time before the world began? Jesus was there, and he remembers being loved then as well. This moves us to the outer edge of what we as human beings can even think about. And that's the point. Jesus is praying to God, and we are listening in. This is a clue to how we too can pray to God. Jesus was on the verge of a terrible ordeal, his arrest, trial, and execution. And look what he's doing. He's remembering, almost reminiscing with his heavenly father in prayer. This is the best part of loving people for a long time. You can recall the good times and smile even in the hard times. Did you know? You can do the same thing with God in prayer. I'd like you to think about that a little bit. What are the times you can recall that you undeniably felt God's love? For some, that might be hard to think of, but for others, it might be fairly simple to think about those times that you felt God's love. 
Next time you are heading into a hard time, start reminiscing with God in prayer about the loving times of the past and see the hope that it can give you as you pray. Then, in verses 25 and 26, Jesus states the difference. The world doesn't know him, but they do. That is, his first disciples. And now we do too. Why? Look hard again at verse 26. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Keep this verse in context. Jesus will continue to make you known to them. Stop right there. Jesus is about to head to the Garden of Gethsemane, which will lead to the cross, which will lead to his death. This is how Jesus will make God's love known to us, that he would give his son as a sacrifice, so that by his spirit, we can not just be with him, but actually have him in us. Oneness with God was his ultimate hope for us. And he made a way for us to have it. Can I just ask you, how much oneness right now do you feel with God? Do you want more of him in you? Perhaps we should ask him for more, even today. Let us pray. Lord, we live in a lonely and segmented world. Uh, we're separated. The buzzword of our day is social distancing. We can't even be close to other people, but Lord, we know that we can be close to you. In fact, we can be closer to you than anybody else. And so I pray for those who may be struggling with this concept of oneness because they feel a distance, because they feel that you are not near. Lord, I pray that you would come near to all those who may be struggling for all those who may be searching for intimacy right now, Lord, I pray that they would turn to you and find it. Lord, thank you for praying for us. Thank you for praying for us thousands of years before we were even born, that you would know us and that we could know you and that we can be encompassed by your love and your presence. Lord, fill us up with your spirit, those of us who know you, those of us who trust you. Fill us with your spirit that we can know you even better. And for Lord, Lord, for those who don't know you, I pray that through the reading of your word and the movement of your spirit, that they would know you better today and perhaps even reach out to you in prayer. Lord, guide us and help us that we may live a life that brings even more glory to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. Oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful, Jesus. 
us, and from sin and self to cease, just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. I'm so glad I learned to trust him, Precious Jesus, Savior, friend, and I know that you are with me, will be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, 